Welcome to Westport Road Baptist Church. We're so glad you've decided to join us for today's message. Westport Road Baptist Church is located at the corner of Hurstbourne Lane and Westport Road in Louisville, Kentucky. If you have a Bible, please have it handy and prepare your heart and mind as our pastor, Chip Pendleton, brings us the Word of God. Well, good morning. Great to see you this morning. Welcome to everyone who's watching online as well. We're good to have you with us. We're kicking off our new sermon series on the book of James. So open your Bible to the book of James. Take out your telephone, your iPad, get off Facebook, turn over to the book of James. And uh, we're going to go through all that uh, together. We're actually going to go through the entire book of James not this morning, so you can calm down. It's not, uh, we're going to be uh, looking at it a section at a time, uh, breaking it down. Uh, every summer, we try to go through one book of the Bible. And so this summer, uh, we're going to be going through the book of James. Well, I was reading an article this week on the best underdog movies in all of history, okay? And so I'm just going to tell you the top three, and I want you to chime in and tell me if you would agree that these are the best underdog movies in all of history, movies uh, where the odds seem to be overcome in great triumph. The number one underdog movie, according to their list, of all time was Rocky. Rocky. Who's seen Rocky out there? Okay, who thinks it should be on the list of great underdog movies? Okay, about half of you that saw it uh, thought that. The second greatest underdog movie, according to this list of all time, was Karate Kid. Karate Kid. Who's seen Karate Kid out there? Okay, about everybody again. Who thinks it ought to be on the list as a great underdog movie? Okay, several of you do. All right, all right. Uh, and then number three on the list, perhaps the greatest underdog movie of all time, number three was Dodgeball, a true <laughs> underdog story. Who's seen Dodgeball out there? Who thinks it needs to be on the list? Okay, I will counsel you afterwards, okay? Make an appointment at the Welcome Center with my office, and we'll get together and we'll talk. But those were the three highest rated, according to this survey, underdog movies of all time. Well, as we start in the book of James, James is going to say life is kind of like uh, something uh, for underdogs. Life is constantly hitting you, constantly battering you, constantly knocking you down. And what the book of James is going to be about is how do you live a life with all of the different challenges, with all of the different things coming upon you, a life of triumph in God. And so we're going to look at, start out today, uh, we'll be in verses 2 through 18. Verse 1 just kind of kicks off the book of James. It says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as Joshua said earlier, that word James is actually Jacob, uh, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. And so this was being sent to all of the diaspora, to all of the, the, the people who had been spread around the world who were believers in God. And so this is a general letter being sent out to everyone uh, and is going to address life, how you live life as a believer, and how you engage uh, when troubles and problems hit you. So let's jump right into it. Uh, we're going to start in verses 2 through 4, and the first thing we see is this. Unfortunately, we're going to face a lot of troubles and a lot of temptations in life. We're going to face a lot of troubles and a lot of temptations in life. Now, he starts out in verse 2 with some really strange-sounding words. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now, it sounds strange to begin with. Consider it pure joy 
when you face all of these different trials and troubles that are going to come upon you in life. Now, that just seems odd from the very beginning. Uh, it'd be like saying, oh, man, a, a problem just hit me. Uh, I've just got a big, big uh, temptation that's come upon me. Man, I, I've really uh, got a challenge here. What joy. Is that how you feel when you have a problem or a trouble in life? Does it just fill you with joy? As a matter of fact, if it does, uh, you probably have a fake smile on. That's probably what's there right now. It's probably not a real smile. You might look something like this uh, that, that's there. Uh, uh, that's probably, uh, it's, it's a fake smile. It, it's not really true, you know, when you're thinking there. So what in the world is James talking about when he says, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds? So he takes for granted we're going to face trials of many kinds, but he doesn't mean joy as happiness. He means joy as a confident assurance that God is going to be with you no matter what the situation is. The Dictionary of Biblical Language says that the Greek word that's used here for joy, the word chara, it defines it this way. The reason you have for hope. The reason you have for hope. In the midst of your problems, in the midst of your troubles, there is a reason you have for hope. You believe God is with you, God loves you, God's going to get you through whatever you are going through, no matter how big or small it may be. It doesn't mean that there is happiness when troubles or problems come upon you. It means you have a confident assurance that God is with you no matter what is going on in your life, that God will be with you, that he'll help you to get through no matter what the challenges you may be facing. And in life, we've already been told here at the very beginning, there's going to be a lot of different troubles and a lot of different trials. Some will be small. Some will be things that, that you handle every day without thinking about. And some will be major things that will knock you down and you feel like there's no hope left. And in all of them, God wants to give you an assurance of his presence, his help, and of moving you forward. He goes on in verse 3 and 4, and he talks about how God produces maturity as we go through our problems. He says in verse 3, Because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance, and perseverance finishes its work, and you will become mature and complete, not lacking in anything. So he says it's kind of like a cycle. You have a problem. You have a trouble that hits you. It's out of the norm. It's bigger than usual. And in your problem and trouble, you find God was with you every step of the way. It didn't mean your problem disappeared. It didn't mean things suddenly got better. It just meant that God was with you every step of the way. When you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, it doesn't mean he took the valley away. It doesn't mean the valley became light all of a sudden. It means that in the midst of the valley, he walked through it with you. So you're, you're walking through that valley and you realize you're not going through it alone. God is with you and he says that gives you perseverance. Now perseverance simply means your ability to get through whatever you're facing at the time. So in that trouble that you have, God is giving you perseverance to get through it. And as you're getting through it, as God is helping you to persevere, then he says that develops maturity. Maturity and meaning I can face troubles and problems because I've been tested and I know God's been there. I know he's always there. He hasn't left me. He's walked with me every step of the way. It encourages me. It strengthens me. It makes me more mature because he has helped me persevere and it's made me into a stronger person and it has given me chara. It has given me the ability to say when problems and troubles come, I believe 
God is going to be with me. Denny Crum, the former basketball coach at the University of Louisville, used to talk about the fact that he would play the toughest schedule that he could every year. And he said, a lot of people thought I was crazy because they said, you're going to lose some of these games. You're playing all these big-name teams. You're playing one tough game after another. You're going to lose some t games. Instead of being ranked 2, 3, 4 in the nation, you're going to be ranked 15th or 16th in the nation. And he said, I always tell them, that's okay. Our goal as a team is not to win every regular season game. Our goal as a team is to be tested and prepared and ready so that we can win a national championship. And he said, you don't win a national championship if you're not playing tough games before you get to the NCAA tournament. And so his whole philosophy of coaching was play every tough game that you can so that you become more prepared so that when you get in the tournament, you're ready to play good teams. And kind of what James is saying is, as you go through life, you'll have problems, and you have some minor problems, and you see God's with you, and you have some medium-sized problems, and you see God's with you, and then when the big problems come and really hit, you can have more faith that God's going to be with you because you've seen him there in the past, and he's going to help you through what you're going through. So think of your problems as God building your faith. Each problem, another opportunity for you to become more mature and realize that God has not left you. He's walked with you every step of the way. Each test, each temptation, each failure, each trouble has built your faith, made you stronger, made you more mature. It's given you a chara. It's given you a joy. And so he starts out that way in verses 2 through 4. Now it seems in verse 5 he changes gears. And he starts talking about something completely different, but he doesn't. He's still talking about the same thing he was talking about in verses 2 through 4. Uh, so when troubles hit and you're overwhelmed and you're just trying to survive, what do you do? And that's the next thing that we see. When troubles come, we need to ask God for wisdom in how to handle those troubles. When our problems and troubles hit us, we need to ask God for wisdom on how to handle those troubles. Look down to verse 5 in our scripture passage. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. So you face a big problem in life. It's not something you can handle on your own. It's out of the ordinary. It's knocked you down. You can't sleep at night. Uh, you're tested in every way. You're tested financially. You're tested in relationship. You're just tested in your faith, and you're saying, God, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to respond. I don't know the next direction to take. And he says, when those times come in your life, you need to ask God for wisdom. Lord, what am I supposed to do? Where am I supposed to go? What's your wisdom? Help me in this particular situation. And he says, this wisdom, when you ask for it, God is going to be pleased. He's not going to say, why are you asking for it or something like that? God's pleased. You're coming to him and saying, this is more than I can do. You're the one that knows all things. Give me wisdom to meet my problems. Show me your will, your ways, what you want me to do, what you want me to learn, what you want me to, where you want me to go. And then in verses 6 through 8, he says, you need to believe God is there to help and to listen and to obey. Look at verse 6. When you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. 
And so you get into this, and what happens is you, you begin to think about your problems and your troubles, and they become overwhelming. And you get anxious, and you get fearful, and you stay up all night, and you can't sleep because all of these things are going on. He said it's like waves that have come upon you, uh, those churning waves that are in the middle of a storm uh, in, in the sea, blown and tossed about. And he said you just seem to be going one direction after another as these waves are pushing you from one place to the other. And he said, so what you need to do is in the midst of this anxiety, in the midst of this fear, you need to realize that God loves you and you need to go for him for wisdom. He says in verse 8, such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. And so instead of being double-minded, go to God saying, Lord, I can't handle it. What do I do? He then goes on in verses 9 through 11, and he gives two examples of godly wisdom and what that godly wisdom is like. He talks about uh, how godly wisdom might apply to a poor person and how it might apply to a rich person. So let me ask you a question here. Who thinks poor people ever have problems or temptations? Anybody? Okay. Who thinks rich people ever have problems or temptations? Yeah, everybody does. And yet, when we get into our problems and temptations that come to all of us, God may speak wisdom to you in different ways. So look what he says in verses 9 through 11. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. The rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wildfire. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls, its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. And so he says, God's going to give wisdom to everyone when they ask for it, regardless of the situation. So he says, for a poor person, the wisdom that God might give them is, hey, you know what? You're a valuable person. Don't think that, that uh, you're useless in life. Know that God loves you, that you're valuable, that you're a child of God, that you're an heir of heaven, and God will give you strength and hope and let you realize how valuable you are. And to the rich person, he said, what God might give you is humility. But God might give you the humility to say, hey, Lord, I need to think about other people. I need to realize that money and power aren't going to solve every situation. I need to realize I don't have the answers, and I have to humble myself and look to you. But to each, God gives a wisdom to help get through what is going on at that particular time in their life. So when troubles and problems come and hit you, one of the things you need to do is pray and say, Lord, I need wisdom. Help me to know what to do. Help me follow your way. Give me the godly wisdom that I need. Interesting story I read this week about a firefighter in Ocala, uh, Florida. Uh, he was keeping the, the firehouse in the middle of the night. He heard a buzzer go off in the middle of the night, and he thought, well, it must be a false alarm or something. He, he got up, and he started investigating, and, and he heard the buzzer kept ringing. He goes, I've never heard this kind of buzzer before. What is it? Well, the fire department had something called a safe haven box. And uh, here's what a safe haven box looks like right here. Uh, it's basically uh, you open it up, and if a mother uh, uh, is somehow going to give away their baby, they can just stick it in the box instead of leaving the baby and deserting it. And when he looked in there, there was a baby inside the safe haven box. Now, he said he took the baby out. He was stunned. You know, he's holding the baby. He's looking at the baby. Uh, it was just an infant. And as he's looking at it, all of these thoughts come through his mind. You see, he and his wife have been trying to have a child for about 10 years. Uh, they've been unsuccessful in everything they'd ever tried. They were looking at other methods. They were looking at other adoptions. 
at adoption, and as he held this baby, he began to pray, God, is this a sign that this is our baby? And he called his wife, and he said, you won't believe what just happened. Uh, Social services is coming, but somebody left a baby in the box. She's a beautiful little baby girl, and his wife said, that's our baby, isn't it? And today, after six months, they, or this week, they formally adopted that baby. You may have read it in the paper. Here's a picture uh, of the baby right there uh, as they are going through there. So that's praying and seeking godly wisdom and God showing up. And that brings us to the last thing that we see in our scripture fasts. Finally, James gives us the reminder that God is our help when troubles come. He's not the cause of our troubles. God is our help when troubles come. He's not the cause of our troubles. Look down to verse 12. He starts out in verse 12, and he talks about two rewards to persevering in tough times. He says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. So he talks about, okay, when you persevere in your trial, you're going to have two blessings from God. The first blessing you're going to get from God in persevering in your trial is to realize that God has been with you every step of the way, that you were never alone, that he was always there, that encouragement of knowing he walked with you through the valley of the shadow of death. And the second promise he gives is even more interesting. He says, you'll also receive the crown of life that the Lord himself has promised to those who love him. If your problems are so severe that one day they even take your life, what he's saying is it's still not the end of the story. God is going to raise you from the dead and give you a crown of life that he gives to all those who love him. So there is no end to the story for those who believe in God and have hope and trust in him. Our problems may be big. They may knock us down. They may be very severe. But even if our problems take our life, he gives us a crown of life eternal life with him that will endure forever and so he talks now about in verses 13 through 15 the fact that sometimes when troubles hit we lose hope and yet there is hope as he told us in verse 12 look at verse 13 when tempted no one should say god is tempting me god cannot be tempted by evil nor does he tempt anyone each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed And after the desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So he starts out in verse 10 and he says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. Now what happens in our problems and troubles is that when they hit us, we often begin to ask, where's God? Why is God not doing something? Why did this bad thing happen? Why did my loved one die? Why, why did my loved one leave me? Why, why have my business failed and I have no money? We, we have all of these problems and troubles hit us. And the first thing we ask is, where is God? Why didn't he show up? And why didn't he do anything? And it's the same thing with temptation. As we fall into temptation, we ask ourselves, you know, why is this happening? Is God tempting me? Is he causing me to go down this path? But he says, God cannot be tempted by evil, and so God is not the cause of your problem or your temptation. As a matter of fact, in verse 14, he says, the cause of our problems and temptations come from two places. Each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed, 
And that desire then goes on to breed sin. So temptation when it comes, problems and troubles when they come, are not from God. God's not the cause of problems and temptation. But rather they come from our own sinful nature and our own evil desire. And they come from our enemy who's trying to defeat us and to discourage us and destroy us. And so what happens in both our problems and in our temptations is that it's, it's, a, it's a slippery slope where we keep getting closer. With temptation, it may be, I, I, I've thought about the thing that God says is wrong and I shouldn't do. I think about it some more. I, I, I get closer to it and closer, and pretty soon I'm off the ledge. I've been enticed and went down. But the same thing happens with our problems. Our problems and troubles hit, and we think, oh my goodness, why has this happened? Where's God? And then all we can do is look at our problem. And the whole point here is, what are you focusing on? If you're focusing on the temptation, you're going to keep getting closer. If you're focusing on the problem, your problem is going to become severe. And you're going to say, okay, look how bad this problem is. There's no hope. I think about it all night long. I'm losing hope. Where's God? Why is he not doing anything? My problem is enormous. And pretty soon, you're off the cliff. You've gone all the way over. Your anxiety and your fears have overwhelmed you. And you say, where is God? Why is God not doing something? Why are all these bad things happening? The despair that we have is the fact that our problems become big when all we do is look at our problems. What problem are you having in your life right now? What are you looking at? What temptation have you been gripped by? What are you looking at? When we look at our problems and our temptations, it pushes us closer and closer to the edge. And what he says in verses 16 through 18 is that we need to be looking at God. God's not the cause of your problems. God is the solution to your problem. Look at verse 16. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who doesn't change like shifting shadows. So he says, okay, don't be deceived. What are you staring at? Are you staring at your problem? Are you staring at your troubles? Or are you looking at God? Every good and perfect gift come down, comes down from your Father. And then he compares what God is trying to do plus what the world and our enemy is trying to do to the difference between light and dark. He says, your Father is trying to give you a heavenly light that shines. And yet all we're seeing are shadows that are shifting. You know, shadows just move from one place to the other. If a person moves, that shadow goes there. And he says, sometimes we get wrapped up in a world of shadows instead of looking at the light of God. So look to the light of God. God wants to give you hope. He wants to give you peace. He wants to get you through whatever it is that you are going through. His bright light versus the dark shadows of life. So think about the problem you have in life right now again. If you're hopeless, if you're depressed... If you're anxious, those dark shadows are not from God. God is coming to give you wisdom and to give you light. Now hear me clearly on this. That does not mean everything's going to work out the way that you want it to. And it doesn't mean your problems are going to disappear when you look to God. And it doesn't mean you're never going to have any more troubles. It doesn't even mean your problems may not take your life. But what it means is you will never go through anything in life that God will not give you the strength, the resources, and the wisdom to help navigate it. Whatever it may be, however big or small it may be. 
Remember, he doesn't take you out of the dark valley. He walks with you through that valley. James ends in verse 18 by telling us and his readers that they are the first fruits of a harvest. Look at verse 18. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all that he has created. One day, if you persevere, God will get you through your problems that you're going through. And people will look at you, and what they will want to know is, how did you do that? How did you have that kind of faith? How can I have that same faith? And what you went through and endured will not only become a chore for you, it will become a help to other people as they are going through their own problems. You'll become a first fruits of all that God has created. 23 years ago, there was a labor and delivery nurse by the name of Mary Ann West, and she was involved in a very difficult delivery. They didn't think the little baby girl was going to live. It was a very difficult delivery. They had something called velamentous cord insertion. Anybody ever heard of that? Well, yeah, sure, the nurse over there heard of it. <laughs> what that means is that uh, the cord doesn't insert into the placenta properly. And there was a point where they really didn't think that they were going to succeed. The baby, they weren't going to be able to get the baby out, that the baby was not going to, to, to live. And Marianne West said she just began to pray, Lord, be with this baby, be with this baby. And she's praying over and over again. She's doing everything with the doctor that they can. Eventually, uh, the baby was born, the baby was fine and healthy. But it always stuck in her mind, I wonder whatever happened to that little girl that I prayed so hard for uh, as she was coming out and pleaded with God for. And then her son got engaged. And uh, uh, after her son got engaged, uh, his fiance uh, brought over some pictures that they were getting ready for the, the ceremony of them growing up. And she had pictures of her being born. I've got pictures right here. Uh, and... The, the nurse there with the baby, that's Mary Ann West, and the baby is her new daughter-in-law. And she said, oh my goodness, talk about a full circle where God went through this, where I went through this terrible situation, prayed so hard, and now that young lady is becoming my daughter-in-law. God works in strange and mysterious ways. Problems are going to come in our life. Some will be big. Some will be small. But the one thing you can count on is that God will be with you no matter what problems may come. Let's have a prayer. Father, thank you for your word here from the book of James. James is a very challenging book. It hits us right where we are because it talks about real everyday life. Help us to have the courage and strength to live in the midst of our problems with that confident hope in you. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed today's lesson and that it spoke to you. If you have prayer needs or want more information about us, we invite you to stop by our website, mywrbc.org, and click on Contact. Please use the word podcast in the subject line. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, keyword mywrbc. At Westport Road Baptist Church, we love God and love people. Please join us for Sunday morning service at either 9.30 a.m. or 11 a.m. We also have Sunday school for all ages during both service times. Thanks again for listening, and join us next week for another message from God's Word.